0: This is Power 98.7, and now you're listening to Power Talk with Levatombele. Mbele. Weekdays, 9 a.m. to midday on Power 98.7. Taking your calls on 0861 987 000. All right, so the time is nine minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock, and let's focus on what today is. Yes, indeed, it is the 1st of December, But it is also World AIDS Day, a universal commemoration of the work done in improving on treatments for HIV and AIDS and also remembering the lives lost to HIV and AIDS and raising awareness about HIV and AIDS, especially for communities who are prone to stigmatizing people who have declared their status. In terms of statistics, um, 39 million people in the world, approximately 39 million people in the world, are said to be living with HIV. Of that figure, 37.5 million are adults. And adults are people over the age of 15. They are considered to be adults. Um, 1.5 million are children worldwide. And within this figure of 39 million people worldwide living with HIV and AIDS, 53% are women and girl children. So it is a, a disease or a virus that has a higher infection rate amongst women. And what scientists have said, it, it's, it's a lot to do with the biological form of the woman, if you really think about it, right? Right. Um, And 8 million of people living with HIV or AIDS Are found in South Africa alone So the country has a high prevalence rate And we're told disturbingly That the infection numbers are starting to tick up A little bit Especially amongst younger South Africans And when we say young We mean those children People under the age of 15 So there are a few social issues to really consider here But today's AIDS uh, or this year's AIDS commemoration worldwide is taking place under the thematic banner of let communities lead. This is what the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has reminded us. Let the communities say what it is that they need and what support that they need from uh, health departments, donor agencies, uh, social services and the like. And then the executive director of UNAIDS is the Ugandan uh, developmental economist, engineer and social activist, uh, Dr. Winnie Byanyima, And she says, today we need to end inequalities, we need to end AIDS and we need to end pandemics. This is a day to have conversation about how to address inequalities in the distribution of treatments, health resources, end AIDS and end all pandemics. And so those are the conversations taking place worldwide. Today, though, we are going to speak to Laki Mazibugo, social activist and entrepreneur. And he is a South African who many years ago publicly declared his AIDS, uh, his HIV status rather. And he has lived for more than 20 years with the virus, living positively. And he has seen the full gamut, I would say, of public policy interventions and treatment. From the very, very dark days of denialism to people being told to please drink uh, garlic and beetroot water and, you know, rather pursue a healthy, nutritious diet than take antiretrovirals to then the introduction of antiretrovirals and what I'm told is back then antiretrovirals when they were finally uh, rolled out it was a cocktail of drugs it was like six or seven that you had to take a couple of times a day on a full stomach and then it moved to sort of a couple of pills and now we're even talking prep and other kinds of interventions that can even suppress the viral load and even make the, the, the virus undetectable in the body. So it's been a wholesale transformation and revolution in this space, has it not? Laki Mazibuga, good morning.
1: Good morning, uh, Lirato. I hope you are well, your I must say that your your voice has boosted my immune system.
0: (laughs) Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And I wonder if just sort of, you know, anecdotally remembering what it was to talk about AIDS and HIV in the country and what and how we talk about it today. I wonder if that really does spell progress. I think it does.
1: Well, uh, to be quite honest, uh, on all fronts uh, there has been uh, tremendous uh, improvement uh, from uh, going beyond uh, awareness, you know, to treatment, uh, to effecting policies as you alluded to earlier, and just uh, the general uh, behaviour of people. Of course, uh, you know, the side effect of that now is uh, is that uh, people uh, become complacent, you know, mm. because now there's treatment and now there's PrEP, you know, then people become reckless. Mm. But generally, uh, on a positive note, uh, a lot has changed uh, for the better.
0: Okay. And so what you're saying is the huge treatment and uh, medical advancements uh, have now rendered HIV... Um, And AIDS, a chronic disease because it's the virus and then it's the actual breakdown of the immune system and that people are just taking medication in as much the same way as people with diabetes or hypertension are asked to take medication every day and they're still able to live a quality of life. So it doesn't mean that you haven't got the virus. It means you can live if you just take your medication correctly.
1: Of course, I mean, in my personal uh, life as an example, uh, I've been living openly and meaningfully with HIV for 32 years uh, now. Wow, 32.
0: Um,
1: and my my um, viral load is, uh, is undetectable, uh, you know. So if you take your meds correctly and you take them religiously, so to speak, uh, then there should not be a problem, and in that process, uh, in those years, I had a beautiful daughter, Oumalika. Oh, my
0: Congratulations! Um,
1: so, so people continue to have uh, productive lives, you know, and which is really what we struggled for, mm. and okay. uh, what we struggled against when, as you said, the the government was refusing mm. to provide uh, treatment for our people, mm. and today, uh, through uh, our collective struggle, you know, mm. more than 4 million people in our country have access, you know, to mm. treatment.
0: Okay. We, we're we going to reminisce or walk down, um, re- be reminded of that memory because it's not quite a, a positive memory of where South Africa comes from with, 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 with uh, AIDS treatment and drugs in the country. Okay. But I first want to zone in on what you said, is that because of improvements in medicine and access, it's made people reckless. It's made people say, you know what, I can just have, you know, casual sex, unprotected sex, because if, if I suspect anything, I'll take the, the, the prep. And there's a post and there's a pre-exposure prep. Just tell us about them. And why do you think people are reckless?
1: well uh, now as you know the the, the most uh, highlighted uh, you know disease is is probably rightfully you know diabetes uh cancer and so on which of course if you, if you are HIV positive it can also be like a multiple uh, a, a cocktail of 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 illnesses but uh What normally happens is that once a possible solution is found, then people let their gut down. Mm. You know, the other day there are certain walks that I do uh, at my restaurant uh, once a month. Mm. And uh, we had a speaker, Dr. Popuma, who is my medical advisor. Mm. And one of the uh, questions, actually one of the comments that came about from one of the workers was that, you know, I I I wish I could have HIV than diabetes. Wow. <laughs>
0: okay, and what so, reason do they give?
1: So the reason, I mean, the, the societal reason is that uh, diabetes diabetes is worse than HIV. You know, so so that's the side effect of uh, the job well done that we did with uh, with regards to treatment. Mm. And is that people now. Uh, have this illusion that, uh, you know, I can take a chance and still be okay. Mm. And this has always been my problem, Lirato, with uh, UN AIDS in particular. Because most of the campaigns that they do are based on communities, on the collective, rather than the individual. Mm. I've always maintained that HIV is a personal disease, it's a personal infection, before it becomes a communal issue. Mm, mm. So once people can take personal responsibility and have a greater understanding of what uh, such an infection actually means, Mm. then you will have a change of mindset. I will make you one example of one of the things every year that haunts me to this day is that I'm unable to donate blood. Right. So people uh, think, they don't think beyond what the infection is. They, they think of it in community terms, in national terms, and so on. But there are other things, side effects of being infected with this thing that are, are more personal, which therefore demands that the the solution mm. should be more directed to an individual, especially young people. Mm. Because for us to reach the plateau the soonest
0: mm. is
1: for young people to stop the infection. Okay.
0: Okay. So, what do you make of the theme this year, let communities lead? Because earlier when you spoke, you said, you know, we've made huge milestones for our collective struggle from that era of denialism where the government wouldn't even consider providing antiretrovirals to where we are now. it We have won. It is a collective struggle and more than 4 million South Africans have access to ARVs. So what is meant by a collective struggle and letting communities lead? Lucky Mazibugo.
1: Well, Lerato, on the, I think there are a number of, of layers here uh, in terms of strategy. Collectively, uh, it was a good thing from uh, effecting policies, you know, uh, forcing government to provide treatment and so on. On that front, the collective was working. But for solutions, especially to cap the spread, Mm -hmm. then you have to pin it down to an individual. I don't know if you follow what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are a number of layers. There's community at a certain level, and then there's an individual, particularly at treatment level. Mm -hmm. So for me, when you say... Communities must take charge uh, in terms of preventing HIV or making a difference. I don't understand it because it doesn't it, it doesn't appeal to me it's like it's flying over my head appeal to an individual directly so when I speak to young people I challenge them directly because mm-hmm. then if you speak of communities it's always about the next person okay until it actually affects you directly. <laughs> Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So let's talk about your personal journey as Lucky Mazibuwe. And now this is where I need us to get into the repository of our minds, go back. When you were first uh, diagnosed with HIV, what did the world look like at the time? What was our understanding as society of HIV? Uh, how was the government Responding, and I want to say, you know, in as much as people know that I have, you know, I have deep respect and appreciation for how the Mbeki administration managed uh, the economy, those were the best years of a democratic South Africa, institutionally and economically. We saw jobs created, economy growing, there were many good things, but on HIV, this is the blemish, this was where it really fell apart. Tell us what your experience was?
1: Well, at that time, uh, firstly Lerato, uh, there, there was a, not a lot of information. Hmm. So, uh, which then led to a lot of myths, a lot of uh, misinformation, a lot of disinformation. Uh, uh, number one. Number two, HIV was a death sentence. Hmm. And which led to people being afraid Uh, And not even wanting to discuss that issue, you know, Mm. Uh, which then led that to a deep sense of uh, denial. So uh, even if people were to talk about HIV, if it ever happened, they spoke about it in the third person or in the second person, but never about themselves. Mm. So... So so at that time, the situation was very bleak. And this is where the significance of our struggle, our personal sacrifices actually comes in. Because it was not fashionable to come out and declare openly your your status. And it was not fashionable also to challenge uh, the powers that be. So uh, as we moved on, and more solutions were being found mm. then people became more open i mean mm. i cringed the other day i went to a, a seminar and there was a young girl who was telling us how she was infected like 2 years ago mm. and i felt it deep in my heart a deep scar that maybe we i did not do enough how can this bright youngster be so proud to say that she was infected 2 years ago because my whole struggle was for her not to be
0: infected at all. At okay. All. We'll we'll talk about the modern. I just want people to to really appreciate the journey traveled. So, when you contracted HIV 32 years ago, you were preparing your obituary. You were getting your affairs in order. You were saying your goodbyes because without social support, without antiretrovirals and with a government that didn't want to admit the scale of the problem, you knew you were on your own?
1: Well, for me, it was different, uh, Lirato. And even up to now, my mindset has always been, I've always been very strong mentally and spiritually, Mm. you know. And for me, I never prepared for my death. Mm. I actually challenge that even today, I still, I'm I'm not afraid of death and dying. Mm. Mm. So for me, I, I was never afraid. I was never... I was actually inspired. You know, I'm the kind that goes to the problem. I don't mm. shy away. Mm. Uh, if you threaten me about something, I come to you. Okay. I, think so, I think... so that, so, I, I, so that I, you can solve it very quickly.
0: Yeah, I think the point I'm just making is for people in your era, if you yes. contracted HIV, it was a death sentence. Maybe not for you personally, well, but for, for the majority of people.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at that time... Uh, like you said earlier, even people were taking their treatment in in, in silence, in secret. I remember I went to a, a World Conference in mm. Poland, and there was a guy uh, from France who was taking seventeen pills three times a day at a go. Seventeen, seven, seven, one seven. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. You know, so it, so, you know, when I, when, when we speak about this thing, Lerato, like we are doing now. It almost seems like we are trivializing it, but mm. it's been a hard journey. Mm. Okay, it's been. A, it's,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been a hard journey. Okay, so what then changed? So from seventeen pills to one pill, that's and 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 you know what? I want to be careful to say one pill. I'm not even sure if it's one pill or an injection. But but from that era where you take your medication in silence three times a day, a cocktail of seventeen pills to where we are today? What has shifted?
1: Well, there are a number of of things that have shifted. Of course, uh, we affected uh, government policy, which is now more uh, receptive to, uh, and more accommodative, you know, to to issues related to people living with HIV. For instance, Mm. now we've got parallel uh, importing uh, of treatment And then at the social level, the more people have solutions, Mm. possible solutions, the easier, you know, it gets for them. And the more access they have to treatment, you know, the more uh, meaningful their lives become, you know. So, so that is a lot that has changed uh, on that front.
0: Has the virus itself changed the way it shows up in the body? We had a caller earlier on saying, "Thank you for this conversation. I want to know the difference between HIV one up to seven. Are there different categories of HIV?" Lucky.
1: Yes, they, they are, uh, the the uh, um, HIV indeed is a virus, so it mutates. So what it what that means is that it adapts to uh the system in your body and then let's say for instance you and i engage sexually
0: Mm.
1: and you have hiv strain one and i have hiv strain three Mm. and then the treatment that we are taking for you is for one and for me is for three Mm. if we engage sexually without protection then we are likely to get what we call cross infection Or if we both have the same strain of HIV, then we might end up having what is called reinfection. So what that does, it makes the treatment, it renders the the treatment ineffective, because literally you are treating the one strain of HIV and leaving the other. Okay. All right. So that... there are there are different strains of HIV. There's HIV one, two, and three.
0: Okay, and this is why it's important to keep using protection even if you're on medication.
1: Absolutely. I I have said in my writings uh, when I was still at Sowetan that uh, sex without a condom is unnatural.
0: (laughs) Okay, and finally, you know, you told us about your beautiful angel, your daughter Malaika. I remember a time where if a mother had HIV uh, they they were testing nevirapine at the time to see if at the point of birth they could administer a pill that would stop her blood mixing with the child's blood so that the child doesn't contract HIV. It was a whole lot of stuff going on. So today, how do people live these full lives? You're talking about get married, have children whilst having HIV. How, how, how does it happen socially and how does it happen medically?
1: Well, it, it it underscores exactly what we've said that the most important thing is 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 personal awareness, self-awareness. Where are you at what at what stage are you? What is your viral load? What is your CD4 uh, CD4 count? So, uh, is your partner positive? Himself, are you positive? You know all those types of things. All of things they inform uh, the decision as to whether you can uh, enforce your reproductive rights. Mm. So you have to go through uh, that process. Your, your, your medical uh, advisors or your doctors at the clinic or in hospital, they have to do thorough checks to check whether it is possible for you guys to to reproduce. Mm. And if not, uh, then you need to take treatment uh, in advance, okay. which is not easy. And then you have to. Uh, Make sure that when the child is born, uh, it is had through um, scissor rather than the natural uh, okay. form. So, so there is a, a long list of things that need to be done. It's it's quite
0: a sacrifice. Okay. So so it's 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 just being aware of your status, uh, whether or not you qualify for a reproductive program and then be monitored so that even though the child is feeding from the bloodstream of the mother at the point of birth, it's a cesarean section to try to limit the amount of blood flow so that the child can limit the prospects of, of, of uh, contraction. So there's quite a bit of a medical process, but it's possible and you can have a family, even with HIV. Thank you for sharing your personal story with us, Lakima Zibugo, social activist and entrepreneur. And to this, Homoso says, I really appreciate this conversation with Lakima Zibugo because those who spoke out suffered personal cost and yet they're the ones for whom HIV has impacted them directly. And it allows us to then be open about speaking about other struggles, uh, such as autism. There should be no shame. None.